Good morning. Um, my name is Sam. I noticed some faces that I, I don't know. I would love to meet you afterward, um, but you're meeting me sort of now. One half is sort of like one hand clapping. Um, you're meeting me. I'm not meeting you. I would love to meet you after. Um, my name is Sam. I'm a PhD student in uh, political science at uh, UNC Chapel Hill, which, yeah, political science fans here. Uh, that, that department in particular. Um, and uh, I am part of the teaching team here, and again, I'd love to meet you. Um, I am going to jump in because we have a lot uh, I'd like to have us think about today. Um, so we are going to think about maybe the hardest phrase in the middle of the hardest passage in the middle of the hardest book uh, in the New Testament. Um, so I'm preaching on faith without works is dead, um, which I find to be a very challenging uh, passage. Um, and I will, uh, I'll lead us through it. So I'm going to read the passage and then we'll start thinking about it together. All right. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or Sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is, not the rich, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into the court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him who, to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not your father Abraham considered righteous for what he did? He offered his son Isaac on the altar. Do you see that his faith and his actions were, not, were, were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did? And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, 
and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Lord, help us think about this passage. There's a lot to think about. I pray, Lord, that we would start with mercy and end with mercy, as there has been so much misuse of this passage. I pray that we would be patient with others and with ourselves, that we would think first of grace and mercy, and we would not feel ashamed or guilty, but be students of you. Amen. All right. I said it was a tough passage. Um, this passage raises a, a ton of questions, I think, for us. And I think I have, have some of them written out here. What does dead mean? What does alive mean? When we talk about works, aren't we talking about rules and the law, that royal law that gives freedom? How could keeping the law make me alive? Didn't Jesus come to set us free from the law? If I focus on works of faith, am I trying to earn my way into heaven? Sorry, I realized I didn't put my timer on. That can be trouble. It's a good way to be a lawbreaker. All right. <clears throat> okay, so a few things before I kind of go deeper on this passage. And especially, just so you know, I'm not going to try to teach the entire thing that I read you, but I think it's important to have some of that context. Um, I'm going to focus in on what the phrase, faith without works is dead, means. Um, because you've probably heard it before, but I want to zero in on it. So before I go deeper, I just want to say a few things that I think probably have come to mind. Um, to have faith is to rely on God to believe that what Jesus teaches us is actually true and brings life. And our reliance on him will not only bring everlasting life here and now, but will bring forth the good fruit of faith. So a couple examples, because I keep using the F word, faith, and you're like, you're not explaining what it means. All right, so if you told me that you have faith in your car, that your brakes work, but you refuse to drive your car because you are worried that the brakes will not work, you do not have faith in your brakes, right? No matter what you say. And a person who says, I don't have faith in my car, and yet they drive it as if it's going to work, clearly does have faith in their car in a certain way, right? Another example I might give to you is somebody who buys you a gym membership, let's say Jesus buys you a gym membership, and you can go to the gym for free, but you never actually do. You get to be part of the gym membership, but you never work out. And you're confused at you or like, Jesus, you bought me this gym membership, I thought you were going to make me strong. You are like the one who believes that they can have faith without works. All right, so to be clear, Jesus saves us and brings us into the family of God. That's, if you like, the gym membership. And that's how we're saved, by him. This is what Paul is speaking about in Galatians, right? So if you don't like James, it's probably because you love Galatians or something like this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Is it not clear to you that to go back to the old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that to repudiate God's grace. 
If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. So, yes, it's absolutely true that no amount of law-keeping is going to get you into the family of God, to get you into heaven. But you don't have to be strong to go to the gym. And you do not have to be brilliant to go to the library. And so what we're talking about when we're talking about faith without works is dead is what we're talking about when you try to get stronger at the, at the, at the library. When you try to get stronger at the gym or when you try to become brilliant at the library. You didn't get yourself that library card and you didn't buy yourself that gym membership. But by the same token, we still want to listen to Jesus and learn about his way. Because when you read something like the Sermon on the Mount, it is eminently practical. Right? It ends with this example like, the person who does not listen to these words is like the builder who builds their house on sand. Right? This is a completely practical example. It's not abstract. It is completely practical. And so what I'm going to suggest to you today is that following the way of Jesus is practical and is a way of life and a good way of life at that, the best. Um, one more thing is that there is a kind of warning in this passage from James. And that is that if you have a friend who like claims they can ball, but they never are on the court and they never put up numbers, it, you should be concerned that in fact they cannot play basketball. Right? That is what it is to hear someone say over and over, well, I have faith, you have your deeds. That person is saying, I can play basketball, but I never get on the court. All right. So I said... If you, if you get everything that I just said and you're like, all right, this is, I know this in a deep way in my bones, that, that is basically the gist of what I'm covering today. <laughs> I'm just going to go deeper with it and, and kind of have it unfold a little more. All right. Some of you believe, and I believe at times, right, that what's wrong is more practical than what is right. Um, there's this great story of this little girl who was asked in Sunday school, what is a lie? And the little girl says, a lie is an abomination unto God and a very present help in time of trouble. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> she knows it's wrong, but she thinks it's, the only, it's practical, right? I've got to do this. A lie is an abomination to God and a very present help in time of trouble. All right, so... What I'm going to try to do is help convince you that that sentence is nonsensical, even though we all kind of believe it in some deep way. Whether it's lying, um, we'll get to examples. Um, okay, so I'm going to give you three versions of the meaning of law, and each one is going to get us closer to what we're talking about in this passage of James. All right, so let's start out. We've got this legal version. This is the one when people think of when they think of the law, I think. Um, if you break the law, you get caught, you get punished. Bad, right? This is a bad outcome. If you break the law and you don't get caught, maybe you just kind of get away with it. Maybe, maybe you feel guilty. Maybe you're kind of like, maybe I'm going to get caught someday, something like this, right? But ultimately, you can imagine escaping it. And, of course, we can imagine or have experienced misuses of the law, this legal version. Now, there's something about this. This is right, right? There are these, like, kind of rules in a way that structure the Christian life. Um, but I, 
I would hesitate to encourage you in that direction before thinking about these other versions. So the physical version, and this is where I'm super grateful for Caitlin's work choosing songs this morning, um, because we sang God of Creation, and if the mountains bow, so will I. The second version of the law is the physical version, like literally laws of physics. So let me read a couple of statements to you. And remember, we're trying to think, I'm trying to understand what the phrase faith without works is dead means. And Sam is suggesting to me that what it means is something deeply practical and real. So here, here's some phrases. If, from, if I jump off my porch, I will fly. I can drink as much as I want. I know I won't make any bad decisions or have a hangover in the morning. I can spin in circles at the top of the stairs and I won't fall. The idea of oxygen will save me beneath the waves. Now, I, I want you to have heard those completely literally. Now let me read them again, and you can hear them as metaphors. I can jump. I know I'll fly this time. I can drink as much as I want. I know I won't make any bad decisions or have a hangover in the morning. I can spin in circles at the top of the stairs. This time I won't fall. The idea of oxygen will save me when I'm stink stinking fast. Sinking fast. Sorry, it's a very serious topic. It's okay if I mess up every once in a while. All right. That's the physical version, right? We kind of all understand this. It's like a natural consequence of some of the things we do, like gravity. It's a, just this law that we depend on. We have to plan on, and people who act like it's not true, they're not so much breaking the law of gravity as they are trying to defy it. Now, let's think about this in the relational and the spiritual level that I think is like even closer to what we're getting to in this Faith Without Works is Dead passage. And so I want you to look at this classic cartoon. All right, here we have a relational spiritual version. So for people who don't know, this is Charlie Brown and Lucy. And this is, you know, Charlie's lived this down a hundred times. Lucy says, I'm going to hold the ball and you can kick it, Charlie. And Charlie says, well, every time I do this, you move the ball, and I, like, collapse, and I'm in pain, right? You're going to betray me. And Lucy says, no, 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 this time I won't do it. And Charlie says, okay, I'll go it. And she moves the ball the last second. He kind of flies through the air and hurts himself, right? Um, so in the things that I'm about to read to you, if they're a little too serious, you can just think about Charlie Brown and Lucy, um, but what I want to suggest is that when we believe the things that I'm about to read, we're both Charlie Brown and Lucy. All right. I can stay really late at work and put lots and lots of hope into my work and still be patient with my kids. It's okay if I flirt with that stranger or watch pornography. It's harmless, and my pa partner doesn't have to know. I can go on hating Christ's bride, the church, and continue loving Jesus. I can practice my own private brand of Christianity and still be deeply connected to the church. I can hate people who vote differently than me 
and still love my neighbor. I can spend on luxuries while some have neither a place to lay their head nor food to eat and still say I love the poor. I can separate my work from my faith and still love the Lord with my mind and strength. I can resent people who reject me and still be like the one who said, forgive them, Father. Because I'm saved by faith alone, it doesn't matter what I do. If you believe those things, you are like Charlie Brown believing that Lucy is not going to move the ball again. Um, And it is as reliable as gravity. Um, And maybe you, (laughs) this is a point where if I stopped, uh, we would maybe go away sad, right? Like the rich young ruler. Um, but I think we actually have some, some hope in Christ, of the hope in Christ. So there's more, more to be said. But maybe you accept the points I've just made, and you think, Sam, I actually understand what you're saying, but I feel like this is a tough teaching. <laughs> and it is tough. Um, I want to live the way that Jesus did, but I'm, I know that I fall short. And in that way, I think that we should think about law like we think about love in some ways. And there's this lovely poem we'll look at. Law is like love. Like love, we don't know where or why. Like love, we can't compel or fly. Like love, we often weep. Like love, we seldom keep. Like love, we cannot make people follow the law by compelling them. And like love, we cannot run from the law. Fly. Like love, when we break the law, We're torn up bit by bit, and just like our hearts break when we break with someone. We never live up to keep the law perfectly, just as we never love perfectly. So we are often like the person in James 2. And what I've tried to suggest to you, that it's not just merely hypocritical to claim that you have faith without works. It's impractical and foolish. Like, it's a scary thing to try to live like this. A person who tries to live like this is, they're sort of playing it fast and loose loose with life. Um, They're like the person who has built their house on sinking sand. Okay, a turn. It is not a bummer of a sermon, I promise. We're going toward gooder, gooder, cheerier things. Um, Again, messing up is just the the salt to the little sweet to get through here. Okay, so Unlike the poem says, the poem says, like love, we don't know where or why. But as Christians, we actually do know where and why. God sent his only son so that we might not perish but have eternal life. It's the why and we know the where, right? Now, I know some of you are thinking, Sam is just kind of preaching this like weird sermon about sin management, about how, like, I shouldn't do naughty things. And I'm just trying to correct you out of that because it's almost the exact conceptual opposite of what I am trying to get you toward. The passage does not say, people who do not sin are alive. It says, faith without works is dead. If you work hard at avoiding sin only, and that's your only project, you may succeed, but you will succeed in being spiritually undead. 
right? As we all know that zombies are not the same thing as being alive, right? And so to only practice a Christian life that is only about avoiding sin is to kind of practice a kind of zombie Christianity that's focused on avoiding death rather than pursuing life in Christ. So the version of this sermon that just goes like, so that's why it's naughty to sin, don't do that. I'm just going to lead you toward this kind of zombie Christianity that I don't want you to hear. So we have to kind of turn away from that toward following Jesus. So Wesley, who is like kind of the paragon Christian person for this um, church and for, for the Wesleyan denomination, has this like wonderful exchange with someone who approaches him. So if we can put up the first quote. Yeah, so this person approaches John Wesley, who's this like great kind of reformer of the Anglican church, founder of Methodism, all this kind of stuff. It's, this is like, he's teaching us what the gospel isn't here. Or rather, he's, he's teaching us what the gospel is. This is the opposite of sin management. All is dark. This is someone approaching Wesley. He's talking to Wesley. All is dark. My thoughts are lost, the man said to Wesley. But I hear you preach to a great number of people every night and morning. What would you do with them? Where would you lead them? What religion do you preach? What is it good for? Notice just how practical these questions are. What is it good for? What would you do with them? And Wesley says, You ask, what would I do with them? I would make them virtuous and happy, easy in themselves, and useful to others. He doesn't say, I'd keep them from sinning. I would make them virtuous and happy, easy in themselves and useful to others. Whither would I lead them? To heaven, to God the judge, the lover of all, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. What religion do I preach? The religion of love, the law of kindness brought to light by the gospel. What is this good for? To make all who receive it enjoy God and themselves. To make them like God, lovers of all contented in their lives and crying out at their death in calm assurance. O grave, where is thy victory? Thanks be to God who gives me the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that is beautiful, right? This is not like the message of if you don't do naughty things, life will go well for you. This is like the, this is the message of following Jesus as a great teacher. He does save you. But if he's only a savior and not a teacher in your life, he is just sort of, he's just buying you the gym membership and you're not using it. Got to take that drink. You're thinking about what I've said. Yes, it matters what you do. But what you do comes from who you are and from your cooperation with Jesus. <clears throat> with Jesus. You would not assume that you can get in shape or learn to cook or speak a language or carve a statue just by thinking about it. And so I'm not telling you, don't do the naughty things. I'm telling you, think about what is good and wise in Jesus' teachings. It may still seem like I'm telling you something a little confusing, but I want to kind of sum it up. You might still be hearing me say, you have to do all that Jesus taught to be a Christian. I'm actually telling you, Christians are those who have been brought into the family of God by his work, Jesus' work, 
and are trying day by day to do all that Jesus taught. Now, anyone can do that. Anyone can try to do what Jesus taught. Anyone can do that. You, not anyone can get themselves into heaven, but anyone can try to follow Jesus. Now, if you like are saying, Sam, you've kind of been, there's like lots of angles on what you're saying. Can you tell me straight what it is? Yes. Here is this wonderful quote from a just extremely brilliant person, Dallas Willard. This is what I want you to take away if you cannot remember anything else from today. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. When you try hard to follow Jesus, you are not trying to earn your way into heaven. You are trying to listen and follow what Jesus said. I, said, I told myself I wasn't going to use the O word, but this is ultimately about obeying the commands of Jesus. It's a hard word because people feel nervous about it, but it is ultimately about following what Jesus taught. No amount of following, I, I keep saying these words because I just don't want you to hear the wrong thing. No amount of following the law will get you into heaven. Only Jesus can do that. Yet, we should try to walk with Jesus. And we have an excellent guide to the law in the scripture. In the perfect example of Jesus' fulfillment of that law, and in the imperfect people, like Abraham and Rahab, and in how God now empowers us to follow the law by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is an, here's another Dallas quote for you. It is God's intention that we should grow into the kind of people who can be empowered to do exactly what they want to do. I don't want that power right now because I am not good enough to wield it. But if we become more and more like Jesus, we might become more and more like the kind of people who could be empowered to do exactly what they want to do because it will have made them easy in themselves, virtuous, happy, lovely, and good. I'm going to give you three things to think about what it means to put in effort rather than to merely earn, right? Because earning is an attitude, right? Just like you can't earn, um, well, you shouldn't be able to earn the love of your parents. Um, You can still try hard to follow what they ask you to do. And in the same way, you cannot earn the love of God, but you can try hard to do what God said. All right, three things. Kind of like ultra practical, I think. To try to become different from the person who believes in what they say and what they do that faith without works is fine. You want to become the person who really believes and practices that faith without works is dead. One, ask the Holy Spirit for help when you try to do what Jesus teaches and in everything else as well. Um, I think perfectly mundane things should be done with the help of the Holy Spirit. For anyone who has gotten frustrated doing dishes, you know that the Holy Spirit is like relevant to the most basic things. So when you unload the dishwasher, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. When you walk out the door, ask the Holy Spirit to go with you. 
When you listen to people made in the image of God, which is to say all and every person, ask the Holy Spirit to listen with you. When you organize with each other, not if, when you organize with each other to help those in need, ask the Holy Spirit to move you together. When you lie down at night, pray that the Holy Spirit rests you and that God will protect you. Really, like, the most practical ones is not in my notes. I just thought about it because, boy, you'll know what I'm talking about when I say it. Holy Spirit, help me as I merge on the highway. This, I'm completely serious. And I don't mean it like, God help me. Not in the, like, sarcastic way that we say sometimes. I mean, like, actually believe that Jesus is in the car with you. The Holy Spirit will help you be patient with other people. All right, so in addition to asking for the Holy Spirit's help, you also can, like, make a plan. This is, this is the part where people are going to get nervous, maybe, but you actually can make a plan and practice things that Jesus taught and become a different person than you were in the past. Some people really can become more patient than they were. That's just, it's actually true. I know it's hard to believe, but it is actually true. So one thing you might try are various spiritual disciplines. Fasting is probably the one that you have heard of, but there are many others. Um, a spiritual discipline, if you're like, this sounds like kind of interesting. What is this like? What does it mean? A spiritual discipline is something where I learn to do what Jesus teaches in a way that I could never achieve through direct effort alone. Let me say that again. A spiritual discipline is something where I learn to do what Jesus teaches in a way that I could never achieve through Jesus through, through uh, direct effort alone. All right. So just like I keep going to these like sports analogies, but just like you need a coach to teach you how to learn various things, you're not going to like just show up because the coach told you here's how to do this, how to do a free throw, right? You're not just going to actually be able to execute it because you were told what to do. You have to practice and do it with the help of someone. So in the same way, I would suggest kind of spiritual disciplines are helpful. So for people who might be feeling, this is toward the end of the semester, trying to be like mildly topical, it is toward the end of the, uh, end of the semester, and you're probably tired, you're probably stressed, you're probably feeling hurried, Right, I like I didn't plan on doing a Lord of the Rings reference, but like you might be feeling like butter scraped over too much bread. Right, that is like a rough feeling. If you are feeling like this, you might try one of the hardest spiritual disciplines, but it's very good: slowing. Slowing is practiced. You start the day and you pray, Lord, help me slow down, and then you do things that make your day take longer. So at the grocery store, you get in the slow line, you drive the speed limit, you drive the longer way, you don't excuse yourself out of conversations with extra chatty people. You pray for God to help you be slow and patient in those situations, and you intentionally put yourself in those situations to slow down. And by doing so, you actually cultivate this thing with cooperation, right? Remember, this is something you can't do through direct effort alone. 
You do it through indirect effort with God. Slowing. It's just one example. There are many others. And the last thing I would suggest to you is have this, like, the body. You're like, what are you, what is that? That's us. Right? Each other. Some people here are just better at some of these things than others, and it is wise to ask them how they got that way. And if they have any advice. So, uh, this can be potentially embarrassing, but I actually have some examples of people you might ask. It's, I'm not volunteering them, right? So if they don't want to talk to you, that's fine. But I just want to suggest um, that these people might kind of be related to this passage. That But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Remember the law stuff. Against, these, against such things, there is no law. So when I think of patience, I think of Amanda, who I've seen multiple times listening patiently, waiting patiently, not hurrying. Where I would be doing the thing where you, I, you, know, you like kind of shift your weight a little bit to like let the person know, I wish I was walking. Um, she doesn't do that. She doesn't do that. Um, ask her how she got patient. Um, I think of uh, Vicky and peace. Right, so Vicky can explain why she has peace to you. Um, maybe it surpasses understanding, right? But maybe she can help you understand how she got that way. She's dealt with lots of things that might make a person feel ill at ease. Um, I think of Darren and Joy. Yeah, yeah, man. Absolutely, absolutely. Because of that, you're a joyful, a joyful person. I've just—it's very hard for me to come to church, see you, and not have a good time. Um, no. Um, I also think of Robert and gentleness. I don't know where Robert is. Probably. Oh, hey, Robert. Think of Robert and gentleness. Just soft-spoken and listening and asking and hearing and yeah just a deeply uh, you know this phrase slow water runs deep yeah still still water runs deep yeah that's what makes me think of robert there are more examples right like you're probably i hope thinking of someone and it doesn't have to be weird you don't have to ask them, will you be my rabbi? Like, you can ask them, I have this thing where I'm impatient with people and I've seen you be patient. How, can I, how have you done it? Um, and my hope is that they will be thinking and reflecting about all the ways that they, you know, do not jump off the porch believing they can fly, right? Instead, they think about how it is they've come to believe and follow what it is that Jesus teaches. Um, so let us remember here at the end of this, this is buzzing, so it's perfect. Let us remember that faith without works is dead, but we have made, been made alive in Christ and are daily trying to learn from him how, he lived, how to live our lives. Justin, why don't you come up and pray.
Lord, thank you so much. It's a hard teaching, Lord, but I would rather try to live as you've asked us to live than go on go on trusting that Lucy is not going to move the ball. Help us, Lord, to not feel ashamed or guilty about all the ways that we maybe have not trusted that your teachings are true. We've been confused about how to follow them or it's just been a hard road. Instead, I pray that we would think about your gospel of life and that royal law of freedom. Amen. Thank you, Sam. Now, the Holy Spirit is all over this in our midst right now. Just feel we need to take a moment and just our hearts. Take a bit of inventory. <laughs> Where are we? On the faith and works spectrum, if there is one. Are you just in that space of saying you have faith? but not living it out. Or maybe you're on the other end of that spectrum where you are just working as hard as you can to get your place in heaven. And that's exhausting. Wherever you might find yourself in that space, going to take a moment of quiet confession. God already knows our hearts, but how pleased he is when we just give it to him. If there's something that's been just pricked in your heart today, just speak it to him. God, you hear and know the cries of our hearts, the confessions of the places that we have fallen short. Whether we have tried and tried and tried to earn our way into relationship with you. Or whether we have given it lip service. This faith that can feel shallow 
because we haven't put it into practice. We confess that we have not loved you with our whole hearts. We confess that we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We confess that we have failed to be an obedient church. But you have given us the good news that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so for whatever we are carrying into this space, <clears throat> whatever has separated us from you, God, we hear your words of forgiveness. That we carry no guilt and no shame because you have made a way. For our redemption. And you invite us into that again today as we come to your table. So we pray, Almighty God, pour out your spirit on these gifts the bread and the cup, that they might be for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus, and that we might be one body put into motion for the world to see and to know your goodness and your unfailing love. We pray all this in the mighty and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Christ's body broken for you. His blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Faith and works collide as we come to the table today. We invite you to come to taste and see that the Lord is good. And friends, if the Lord is leading you today, maybe to surrender for the first time, or maybe you're finding yourself in a place you just don't want to be and you're ready to turn. <laughs> to turn your face towards him. And I would love to pray with you. I'm going to be right down here behind the speaker. So as you come to the table, I'd love to pray with you. As you come this morning, we're going to come down this side. Joel has the lightsaber ready to dismiss you row by row. And we'll come across the front, um, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, his body and his blood broken and poured out for you. If you need a gluten-free option, that is also available here on the table. We invite you to come.